Those with a drive to go have an undeniable calling. They are not content to simply have a transformative idea. They want to create and build. They want to wrestle challenges to the ground and bring solutions to scale. They are makers and doers. They are go-getters. Go-Getters features straight-up conversations with leaders on the forefront of change who are taking action to impact our world, just as Lehigh people have done for more than 150 years. Join us as we explore their challenges, their passions, and what makes them go. Welcome to another episode of the Go-Getters podcast. I'm your host, Joe Buck, Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations here at Lehigh. Policing is a topic of great importance in our nation with current conversations happening around diversity and inclusion, mental health, and many other subjects. Lehigh has its own police department run by today's guest, Chief Jason Schiffer. Jason came to Lehigh in 2018 after retiring as Chief of the Bethlehem Police Department, bringing to the university new perspectives on community policing and how the Lehigh University Police Department can serve students. I'm glad to have him here today to explore some of these ideas. Thanks for being with me, Jason. It's great to be here, Joe. Thank you for having me. I want to talk about, on any given day, I've come to understand that the Lehigh University Police Department, or LUPD as we'll refer to it, cares for about 10,000 people across campus. Is that about right? That's about right. Between students, faculty, staff, contract employees, that's about uh, the, the number on campus every day. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the department itself? How's it structured? How does it service 10,000 folks and, and a little bit of uh, uh, some of the typical activities? Sure. Uh, well, we have a full-time sworn police department that consists of uh, 26 full-time officers, and we also have uh, a few security guards, uh, full-time and part-time security guards. We run our own 24-hour dispatch center that's staffed, again, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to answer calls for emergency and non-emergency purposes. and um, we also oversee the IDEAL office, which is an acronym few Lehigh people understand what it means. That's Identification, Electronic Access, and Locksmiths. So that's your IDEAL department. So uh, we oversee all of those operations. Could you talk a little bit about your own personal philosophy on policing? And then how does that play itself out in leading the department? So a kind of a two-phase question. Your philosophy and how do you lead a group of individuals to live that philosophy? I have a very servant mentality philosophy. I believe that as the police and specifically my job is to serve others. Broadly speaking, my job is to serve the, the Lehigh, the entire Lehigh population and work towards the success of our students. And then as the chief of the Lehigh Police Department, I feel it's my job to serve those who work in the department, to give them the best possible environment, training, and everything so they can succeed in, in serving the rest of the, the department. So my philosophy was forged as a young officer when I worked in South Bethlehem uh, many years ago. I was uh, selected as a uh, community police officer. So I was a mountain bike officer in South Bethlehem, and I worked the areas that surrounded the university. And working within those communities, uh, setting up block watch groups, working with the community members, I saw a, a completely different side of policing and what it could be versus the 
you know, the, the response to emergency calls and maybe always seeing the negative side of our society. Uh, I was fortunate to get, have that role to, um, to view the other side, the, the positive end, and see always what kind of positive impact can I have by doing my job as a police officer. So I, I believe I, I try to carry that through everything that we do. And you had a roughly 20-year career with the Bethlehem Police Department. That's right. And started as community-based officer, finished as chief. Where, where was the community-based time in amongst the 20 years? Where, sure. where was that? What was that period of time like? So when I started on the department, I was on patrol. Like you know, most officers start, I worked steady night shift. And about a little over four years into the job, I was fortunate enough to be selected for that mountain bike unit. And that really, like I said, gave, them, gave me that entirely different perspective on community and what it means to serve as a police officer. How much of that, the optics of as, as an outsider, is it the the physical barrier of a car versus a bike? Like, what is it about being a community-based officer that had such a profound impact on you? There's a big part of either walking patrol or bike patrol that removes that barrier. I worked the south side of Bethlehem as a night shift patrol officer and I, for four straight years, and I feel like I didn't learn much about that community at all, physically, with the streets and buildings and alleyways or about the people until I got out in the community and walked it and talked to people or rode my bike around. So yeah, that that was a big part of it. But I think the mindset that you bring to the job changes everything. You mentioned a a few moments ago, some of the, what some of the typical activities are during the the day uh, in the police department. Could you mention any some uh, some could you mention some of the non-traditional ways that the Lehigh police have served students? Um, Anything come to mind? There's things that happen on a regular basis where our officers go well outside of what I think most people would think that a police department would do. I mean, there's the traditional things about unlocking doors and jump starting cars and providing walking escorts that that are well outside of what a municipal police department does, but, um, you know, we've uh, killed bugs and um, so it recently set up a a mousetrap in a a room where there were concerned students uh, uh, that there was a, you know, an unwelcome guest. (laughs) So our officers went out and bought some traps and peanut butter and set them up to try to um, set their mind at ease. But I think that just, you know, just points out what some of the efforts our officers will do on a regular basis that most people never hear about, don't know about. And, uh, you know, it's what we're trying to do to, to help make everyone's experience at Lehigh the best possible way we can. I happen to have the privilege of observing some of the police work, I'll put it in air quotes, that was done to serve our community last year during COVID. And it was largely, from my observation, non-traditional. Would you talk a little bit about what the police force did, what LUPT did to service the community last year, particularly last academic year in the middle of the pandemic? Sure. Um, When the campus shut down in March of 2020, a lot of people didn't realize that um, while everyone, and I use that in quotes, everyone was told that they needed to go home, there was a population that 
couldn't go home. And that consisted of not just our police department and those who were running the essential operations, the boilers uh, on campus, but there were over 500 students who, for one reason or another, could not travel home. A lot of them international students were with uh, travel being shut down globally. They couldn't go anywhere. So it was pretty much uh, up to us. And no one asked us to do what we did. It just seemed to me like, well, there is no other option. There's no one else here. These students need to be cared for and fed. And we worked with our, our partners with at Sodexo and Lehigh Dining and pretty much set up a like LUPD, Uber Eats, Grubhub, whatever you might want to call it. But we were delivering food all the time <laughs> to to our students that uh, that had to remain on campus through all of it. Yeah, you have to balance that almost every day, don't you? The the safety of the community and the safety of your team, absolutely, and, and of the of the department and of the officers. That's uh, that part probably felt uh, like any other day, except the 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 content, uh, delivering meals and taking care of our students that couldn't leave. Um, it, as I said, as an observer of it, it was quite powerful, moving, and, and uh, un- unsung uh, <laughs> in, in, in the way in which LUPD helped during the pandemic. Uh, I mentioned earlier, 20-year career at the Bethlehem the Police Department, finishing as the chief. So I'm curious if you could tell our listeners, how did you, how did you make the leap to Lehigh from Bethlehem PD? And then a little bit about how is city policing different than campus policing? Sure. Uh, So the leap took, you know, almost five years. I I retired from Bethlehem in uh, 2013 and went to work as a trial attorney. Let's stop there for a moment. Trial attorney. So so here you are, a, a police officer and an attorney. That has to be a rare combination. It's not common. Yeah. Um, how does uh, how does one pursue a law degree while working as a Bethlehem police officer? It's not easy. Um, so I had initially uh, gone to school for computer science at the University of Pittsburgh prior to ever even thinking about being a police officer. And there's a whole other story that would take another hour-long podcast to get through how I became an officer to begin with. But, that has to do with the Marine Corps. We're going to get to that in, okay. about, in, in a few moments right. as well. Um, so when I started my uh, career at the Bethlehem Police Department, um, I quickly realized I needed higher education in um, criminal justice and learning about people rather than computers. So uh, I went to DeSales University at a, in the evening program and uh, obtained a degree in criminal justice. That experience ignited a passion in me for higher education. Uh, the, the professors that were teaching a lot of the, the courses there were practitioners in their field. There were judges, retired FBI agents, retired homicide detective from Philadelphia, people that spent a career in their field and now were teaching. And I kind of envisioned that that could be my future. I knew I could retire from Bethlehem at a relatively young age, and I was looking for you know, something that would unlock more doors than anything else. Uh, so after exploring some graduate programs, I settled or set my sights, I guess, on law school, figuring that a career in law enforcement and um, a degree in criminal justice and a law degree should hopefully 
position me uh, somewhere where, you know, I wouldn't have to be searching for employment. <laughs> and you got your law degree while you were working full-time for Bethlehem Police? I did. I was uh, promoted to sergeant in, um, I forget when that was. It was right around the same time, I guess, I started law school. So I started law school in 2004, and I was in charge of that community police unit that I spoke of earlier. Of, yes. Yep. Uh, so I was the, uh, the bike sergeant um, in charge of 12 other bike officers who worked around in various communities or areas in, in Bethlehem. That job enabled me to, they, they wanted me to work steady day shift, which is rare in policing. So I could work um, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., and then change around, drive to Philadelphia. I went to Temple Law School, and, um, and then classes were you know, six thirty to like ten forty-five at night. And then I would drive home and study till like two thirty in the morning. Get up at five thirty and do it again four days a week for four years. So that that was fun. Did that experience um, in the moment or after, or does it continue to shape the way you think about policing? Oh, without a doubt. Um, the experience of law school, the education component, I think, you know, the critical thinking that you're, uh, you know, hopefully taught uh, or what you learn uh, as a, um, a law student, you know, I, I think I carry with me that every single day and use the experiences not only from law school, but as an attorney. Uh, I, I'd like to think that that makes me better at what I do now every day. Do you still practice? Could you still practice? I could. I my license is active. I keep the keep it up. Yes, but so, you don't currently. I'm not currently. Um, so so five years, <laughs> five years after Bethlehem practice yes. law, and the I'll, I'll, the Lehigh Chief of Police opportunity presents itself. Yes, uh, I was getting my hair cut on the south side of Bethlehem, and uh, a gentleman tells me, and "It's like, hey, did you hear the uh, the Lehigh Chief is retiring." Like I hadn't heard that, and uh, you know, it it stirred thoughts and emotions that I didn't know still existed within me, and um, you know, I had a conversation with my wife that night, you know, and, and it was interesting. You know, she's like, "I th I think you would love that." Um, so once again, you know, I, I I guess found myself exploring going into police work where I thought I had already closed that chapter. What's been different about policing a campus versus a community like Bethlehem? What I think is really different are the resources that are available. It allows, uh, it, which is a good thing, the, the amount of, um, well, I use the word again, but resources we can bring to bear to solve a problem or to help individuals exists on a college campus and at Lehigh University you know, far more than exists in any municipality. So when we can identify someone needing help, we can identify a student in crisis or um, someone in need, whether it could be academic, emotional, or whatever reasons they, they're going through uh, a troubled time, there's a lot of people on our campus who are ready, willing, and properly equipped to help our students. And what is frustrating about municipal policing is we see the same things, but there's no one to turn to to help. And as a municipal officer, you tend to go back to the same place again and again, seeing the same problems. And you can kind of foretell the future. You know, something is going to end very badly. Whereas 
on our campus, we might experience, people are experiencing the same types of, you know, emotional, uh, you know, despair here as they do anywhere else. I think the huge difference is we have resources to help them, to help guide them to, towards their success. And I, I think that's probably the biggest difference. It's not necessarily the policing piece, although there are differences just in that approach, but I think there's solutions. There's real solutions to problems that I think municipal policing and um, just our society, I think, could learn a lot from what goes on on college campuses. You know, if we had those resources available nationwide, I think there'd be far fewer problems, serious problems that we face. And and what is the working relationship between LUPD and Bethlehem Police Department? I think it's it, as good as it could be. Uh, I have a very strong relationship with the current chief, Michelle Cott, who uh, has a PhD, so Dr. Cott. Um, For, uh, the first uh, female chief of yes. Bethlehem Police Department, correct? Yes. Yeah, and maybe it is rare. We're working together, and um, you know, I'm a lawyer. She's a doctor. Um, but I, I think uh, Chief Cott has the, the best interests of uh, the community, the city of Bethlehem, and Lehigh University in mind. And, and I think we uh, work very well together, where um, we share resources uh, on a regular basis. We have two officers who are partnered together, one from the city of Bethlehem, and one from Lehigh University, and they are uh, tasked with concentrating on the uh, the edges of campus, the um, any impact that the university and our students could have on the Bethlehem community, and vice versa, how things from the Bethlehem community could affect our students, whether they're residing on or off campus or traveling on or off campus. So it's a, I think, a really good partnership. That's uh, that's working well for all of us. Uh, let's go press the button and go in the Wayback Machine. Um, before you became a police officer, uh, you, there there had to be some moment in your life that sparked this sense of service. And I'm wondering, I'll ask the question, is it, related to your Marine Corps experience. I know that I, I want to ask you about that. And I know that before you were a computing, uh, you were a computer networking specialist. And I, I'm interested in your time in the Marine Corps and how did it lead to your evolution to Bethlehem PD? Sure. Uh, I think it's definitely directly related. Uh, I didn't realize that I had a, a, a sense of service that I wanted to serve others until um, I was in the Marines and realized that, I mean, I, I believed that that's where I was going to stay for a career. Um, unfortunately, I was injured you know, during training and that career was cut dramatically short. Uh, you know, just uh, it was less than a year that I was uh, actually in. So that was devastating to me personally, um, but it was life a life-changing experience. Uh, I had grown up uh, as a, a studier of history and uh, was a, a big believer in uh, there, there was huge inequity in those who served our nation in the military and those who had you know other privileges, which um, some way got them out of uh, you know service. And 
Uh, my best friend and I had always uh, talked about if, if our country was going to war, that if uh, we were of age and uh, able to, we would drop what we were doing and enlist. And uh, that's what happened. And so in August of 1990, that's when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And over the next uh, few months, there was a lot of you know talk and rhetoric. And once the uh, authorization was for the use of force in the Persian Gulf was signed in November, that's when uh, my friend and I enlisted. Family history of service in the military. You were the first. How, the parents. How, how did that conversation yeah, go? Uh, my, no, well, that conversation was interesting. But uh, my father served in the uh, Pennsylvania National Guard. He was a little older. He was already in and out prior to Vietnam. But um, his two older brothers both uh, served in World War II, um, and uh, and my my father's father, my grandfather, uh, served in the Navy in World War One. Uh, my grandfather on my mom's side served in World War II. Yeah, so there was a, a long history of service. Um, and I think where my uh, my mother in particular, she her brother was in Vietnam. And, um, you know, there's, a, you know, we don't have a great history of, you know, how we've treated those who have served. So, um, you know, I think there was a lot of concern on her part, um, which I understand, especially now as a parent. Um, it gives you perspective, gives me perspective that I didn't appreciate at the time. This podcast is called, called Go-Getter. So you're here for a reason, Jason. I don't have to <laughs> convince you or our audience that you are certainly a, a go-getter. Um, the audience may be surprised that uh, to learn that your main vehicle for, for going or, or, or where you are a go-getter is on the bicycle. Uh, I, I've come to learn that you were uh, a BMX racer mountain biker and in instructor and any students or recent alums listening will uh, likely remember that they see you on your bike perhaps more or ever. I don't know if I've ever seen you in a car. I've only seen you on a bike. It's for me personally, it's, uh, I think it's a great way to do this job, but it's also, I mean, you know, I feel 14 years old when I'm on, on a bike. Every time I throw my leg over a bike, I, I have to resist the urge to ride a wheelie. Um, I, so, you know, it, it keep, I, I think it keeps me mentally young and reasonably physically fit, but it certainly, it changes the way, uh, as a police officer, you're approachable, you're, um, your view of the world, you're not locked in a car with limited visibility and, you know, hearing and everything. And, and it's so easy to ride up to somebody and talk and say hi, or even just chat as you go by that you can't do in a car. I'd like to ask you about the International Police Mountain Bike Association. Um, this is either an organization of three people. <laughs> Uh, or one where you have really shown and excelled. And I'm, you've had eight, yes, eight first place uh, medals uh, in the Police Mountain Bike Association competition. What, um, what, what you didn't expect me to take that nugget out of your no. past, but, but I, I want to I hear about uh, some of those experiences, please. So the International Police Mountain Bike Association, or we refer to it as IPIMBA, is uh, uh, like, kind of a governing body and they have a, um, a week-long police cyclist course that certifies 
uh, police officers from around the world how to safely do the job of a public safety you know, person while you're riding a bike. And um, I became an instructor with that organization in 1999, I believe. And then I was certified as a mechanic. And then I was eventually invited to teach. Uh, the, every year they have a, um, a conference where people come from around the world and get together. And there's all types of classes on varieties of things, just whether it's bicycle skills or um, community policing on bikes in some, some communities, like how to use the bikes in, in the best way possible. And it's since expanded to EMS on bikes and fire uh, officers on bikes that are traditionally doing like an EMS type work. But um, every year at the culmination of this conference, there is a, a skills uh, competition and it consists of everything from riding the bike, like upstairs and downstairs and like really complicated, like cone courses with teeter totters and sometimes like limbo bars. And it's always different and always really a lot of fun. And, um, I've done okay, I guess. <laughs> Eight time first place medals. I'll let the audience decide if that's okay or not. It's, it's just enjoyable, but, uh, it's, you know, everyone has their own talents and skill sets. Then, you know, that competition just lends itself to mine. I want to dig in a little bit more to LUPD and, and the, the philosophy. And I know that you believe uh, that, that safety and security can be delivered in an equitable manner. And I know you've most recently, I was reading an interview that you did with the Brown and White uh, just recently. And We'll put a link to that article in our Inside the Episode uh, information. How, how far has Lehigh come? How far does Lehigh have to go in, in our ability to, I'll use your words because I, I know you share the sentiment. How, how far do we have to go in the dimension of safe, safely and securely policing the campus in an equitable manner? Well, I believe that work will never be done. I think, you know, much like society, we need to continue to look inward at what we're doing, how we're doing it, and really listen to those that we serve and try to measure the impact that we have and ensure that we're always looking to uh, improve upon what we do and how we deliver those services and, and really listen to, uh, to those around us that are you know on the receiving end of what we do. I think a lot of, uh, you know, what we've seen play out in the streets of America that uh, that a lot of people are correctly calling out as, as, you know, saying like, this is not the way we want our communities to be policed. I think a lot of that has come from um, ingrained, maybe even archaic police training that has not evolved with what our communities demand and, um, you know, what they deserve. There has been um, conversations that you've had with students, with student groups, with different groups around campus about how LUPD transforms itself to respond to what our constituents are saying they need, which is what you said a little bit ago. But what, what, what has that experience been like for you? It's been educational, eye-opening, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, there are a lot of um, interested uh, parties and groups on campus that are, have, uh, you know, certainly expressed what they would like to see, you know, from our department. So, um, 
you know, we've had numerous meetings. I've personally had numerous meetings with students, student groups. Uh, uh, an LUPD review committee was formed, and I fully supported it. It was uh, there were senior leadership discussions around how to make Lehigh University an anti-racist institution. And um, in those early meetings, you know, I expressed that that effort can't go anywhere without looking at the police department. I invited, you know, that inquiry. I think it's healthy to do so. And, and we've certainly learned a lot and we've made some changes. What is there anything specific that, or anything you've learned specifically from the review that you found um, enlightening or eye-opening or anything that you'd be willing to share with us that, that, um, that you took away from that review process? One of the things I think was, um, you know, that I really learned was hearing the voices of students who've experienced interactions with our officers. And I, it was uh, gaining an appreciation for me personally, gaining an, gaining an appreciation for what someone experienced when they're looking through that encounter through the, their lens of how they view policing. And I mean, it's no secret, that's not always positive. Um, whether it be an international student or someone from uh, our own country and their own experiences and beliefs about policing, that those prior experiences inform how they view our department. And probably one of the more eye-opening things to me is when a, an encounter that didn't outwardly go bad um, or, you know, it, it wasn't even a confrontation, sometimes was perceived in, in a very negative manner. And a lot of it, I believe, has to do with, you know, what each one of us brings to any experience, any interaction, our preconceived notions, our own biases. And, you know, I think that was really enlightening and something that we, especially given our role as the police, that we can't dismiss. We can't count and just say, well, we didn't do anything wrong. And it's, you know, we can't point at somebody and say, well, it's your problem that you perceive us to have a problem or, or that we did something improperly. So I, I think it's been eye-opening for us to be able to examine all of our interactions and how can we, or can we interact in a way that accomplishes our goal, accomplishes our mission, provides a safe and secure campus, but doesn't, or, or does as little as possible to put people in a situation where they feel uncomfortable. And, and one in particular, um, uh, there was a, a student and here there who wrote an op-ed for the Brown and White. Uh, the student was uh, David Ol Olawabi, and he he's since graduated, and his uh, um, op-ed I believe was encountered. Do you even go here? And it talked as a black student how he and others encountered. Uh, other Lehigh students or faculty or staff or anybody, uh, you know, asking questions about, do you, do you go to Lehigh? And that seemingly innocent question of, do you go to Lehigh, can be perceived in such a different way if you, if you feel that others don't think you should be here. And, you know, there's a lot that we could discuss about that, but asking, like, when our officers encounter 
anybody on campus like we it's part of our reporting system to find out like who you are and what is what's your affiliation with the university faculty staff student and we're trying to do better but just even that knowledge to to know that if an officer asks a student do you go here that it may have an uh, unintended impact um where if we ask a question phrased like what year are you an inclusively phrased question that maybe that same student has a completely different experience be, uh, you know, of that interaction between the officer and the student. And it can be minor. And ultimately, we get more information than if we just ask, do you go here? Because if, if we ask you, you know, what year are you? You say, I'm a junior. Now we know, I, I know two things just by the answer to that one question. Right. So, I mean, the, the list goes on and on, but that yeah. I think that just kind of uh, brings the point out that, you know, we're really learning and trying to do the best we can to, um, you know, like, well, you said, and you use my words, but, uh, you know, I believe policing can be delivered in an equitable manner, but it's going to take a lot of work for, uh, on all of our parts. How do you lead the, the team? to compartmentalize that, that the stress, the natural stress that comes with the job, along with some unconscious bias that they may have um, when they do go engage with a particular member of our community. I think that that training piece is a, a huge part of that. I think we need to look at it from every possible angle, you know, whether it's from just sharing articles and sharing information that we can uh, to, to best educate our officers about the issues of the day, having our officers participate in campus events, whether it's in person or uh, events that are going on all the time, like the uh, Office of Multicultural Affairs runs the M Room every uh, Thursday at noon. Great conversations that are just this um, you know, opportunity to learn things that you, you wouldn't have an opportunity to learn elsewhere at another job. There, there's just... You know, that's a huge component. I think that we need to show up not just when we were called and be a part of this community. And we're also completely changing the the way that we train our officers. There's been a lot of you know, policy development. And um, there was a, a training course identified, and it was called uh, Fairness in Policing. And I sent an officer... Uh, a way to this course, and it was a, this train-the-trainer course. So the the theory is that you send a person to this course and they can come back to train others. And um, so our, our officer, his name is uh, Kyle Fisher, is doing, I think, a, a magnificent job of um, bringing this concept of, you know, training implicit bias and fairness in policing. And, like, he's he's basically been tasked with weaving that type of training through everything that we do rather than looking at implicit bias training that okay we're going to attend this one hour once a year you check the box and 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 think that we're good rather than doing that we we want to have those components of uh recognizing our own biases and um understanding how to control them and make sure that they don't manifest themselves in our actions but having that woven through all the training, whether it's our firearms training, defensive tactics training, our taser training, and de-escalation and making that part of everything. And what we're working on um, uh, 
having our like those types of critical trainings be uh, like decision making, role playing, like you like you mentioned, to have officers have the ability to do everything they everything they can to de-escalate a situation through role playing in, in a scenario they don't know how it will play out. Jason, this has been a real uh, a real pleasure. I do have uh, one more question for you, but before I spring that on you, I I I would like to give you an opportunity to. If, if there's anything that you'd like to share with our listeners, any other takeaways about um, if they were to go away from this podcast with one thing as it relates to LUPD, what is it to, that you would like them to take away? I think the most important message that I continue to, to say is that we exist for the success of the students. And I try to say that as many times as I possibly can and have that principle guide our actions. And officers are often dealing with situations that they had never seen before, never anticipated. You know, situations unfold in, in, in interesting ways sometimes. And the guidance to give an officer or supervisor to make decisions, you know, possibly in the middle of the night, if they can have that voice in the back of their head that they should be looking towards what solution is going to work out the best for the students involved. You know, unfortunately, sometimes that might mean intervening. Sometimes it's even arresting and, you know, individuals based on their behavior might be removed from our population. Most often it's looking towards what can we do to get somebody the proper help and the guidance and keep them on their path to success, whatever that path may be. So, you know, I think, that's the message I'm continually wanting to put across, that I believe that that's why we're here. And um, until I'm told otherwise, I, you know, I'm going to be marching forward with that mission. Chief, thank you for, for being with me today. My last question is uh, existential by nature. It is the last question that we ask all of our, uh, all of our guests on the podcast, and, and it's not original. I can take no original credit for it, but uh, Jason Schiffer— is there anything you know for sure? No. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, no, I don't. <laughs> the most simplistic answer to the question that we've gotten so far on the podcast, <laughs> but not inaccurate. No. Uh, Jason, thanks for being with well, me today. I, so if I well, the true lawyer answer to every question is it depends. It depends. You must have been talking to Frank Roth, perhaps a future guest of the Go-Getters podcast, <laughs> Lehigh's chief uh, counselor. Um, Jason, thanks for being with me today. I really do appreciate it. Um, uh, to our audience, please check the Inside the Episode links for other connections to Jason, his career, and to the Lehigh University Police Department. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Go-Getters, a podcast from Lehigh University hosted by Joe Buck. Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations. I'm Kyle Fisher, a patrol officer for the Lehigh University Police Department. I would like to thank Jason for sharing some of the steps our department has taken towards becoming more progressive, professional, and safety focused. Our office is always looking for ways to better serve the Lehigh community. And with the leadership of Jason, we are continually trying to improve our mission statement, increase our training efforts, 
and strengthen relationships. The ultimate goal of the Lehigh University Police Department will always be to aid in the success of our students by providing a safe learning and working environment. Special thanks to producer Janet Norwood, media production specialist Jarrett Brown, and the Lehigh University Office of Development and Alumni Relations. Go inside the episode at lehigh.edu slash go-getters to learn more about Chief Jason Schiffer and the Lehigh University Police Department. Don't forget to subscribe to Go-Getters on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. And take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so other listeners can find us.